The following is a message from Reverend Ken Belden of Wellsprings Congregation. So on this final day of football season, I'd like to remember that in just two weeks from now, pitchers and catchers will report for spring training. <laughs> I particularly like to recall this because this past week I was watching on the baseball network uh, kind of um, best of. Best of the World Series. And they brought up this great moment, this amazing moment. Some of you remember this. Game 6, World Series 1975. Carlton Fisk, 12th inning, hits a home run, trying to direct it fair. Now, this photograph is notable for a few reasons. One is that... uh, camera shot that captured the reaction of the player was unusual. Normally, they just captured what was going on in the field of play. However, Fenway Park, and I say this not as a Yankees fan, I say this just as an objective observer here, Fenway Park used to be a literal rat hole because the guy who was holding the camera in the green monster, whose job it was to follow what was going on in the field of play, recognized that there were rats right by his feet. And so he didn't feel comfortable bringing the camera up to follow the ball and kept it focused right on Carlton Fisk. And so got this incredible, iconic image of Carlton Fisk willing to directing the ball to stay fair as it did. The other, I think, amazing thing about this picture is that the Red Sox won the game. And because this was still during Curse of Bambino era, pre-2004, they went on to lose the World Series. But I think that's one of the differences between how we estimate football and baseball. The loser of today's game will be known as the loser of the Super Bowl. The Buffalo Bills made four straight Super Bowls. And what's the first thing for any of you, even if you're a football fan, just in passing awareness... What do you think of? They lost them all. But if you're a baseball fan, when you think of Carlton Fisk, you think of this. You don't think about those championships. He didn't win. Maybe you do, but not that he's a loser. So what I want to say here today is that, of course, yes, winning feels better than losing. Who wouldn't choose winning over losing? One of the things that I take away from this picture is that it is playing, simply the opportunity to play, that is the best of all. Last week, I talked about the reality TV show Survivor. Outwit, outlast, outplay. Out, out, out. Getting to the end, finishing. As if the point is not to play, the point is only to win. Well, there's a very different mindset about any competitive sport that I got years ago. In my early 30s, for about five years, I was a very, very serious runner. Very slow, but very, very serious. And this came from the Runner's World magazine, Big Book of Running. If you're looking for a runner's Bible, this is what I recommend to you. And they were talking at one point in this book about having the right attitude to find your right pace your right way to run your particular race, not someone else's. And they use this, uh, this saying that I had never heard before, but I think has tremendous wisdom in it. It says, no one sings a song to get to the end. Think of it. 
you sing songs to get to the end? We sing songs. To... He does. Okay, yes. <laughs> Most of us don't sing songs to get to the end. And they were saying the same attitude should be part of being a runner. It's not just about the finish line. It is more about the opportunity to play than it is to have the opportunity of a payoff. This is what the power of with this message series is all about. That truly getting in touch with our experience in a deep, open, receptive way and in a playful way is absolutely necessary for our full flourishing as human beings. It's not just that I think this. There's actually a whole bunch of research that demonstrates over and over again that human beings who do not have the opportunity or who are not given the opportunity for play suffer. Recently, there was an editorial or an opinion piece that I read by a guy named Peter Gray. Now, Peter Gray is a research psychologist, biopsychologist at Boston College. And he was writing in The Independent, which is a British newspaper, about a whole new series of initiatives that British education is going through. Which basically is this, longer school day, longer school year, more rigorous testing, more understanding of what the kids are actually learning. And they're modeling it on what they believe to be the best parts of the Chinese school system in China. Now, the irony of this is that Peter Gray knows some of the people who study the Chinese school system, their system of education. And one of these scholars says that there's a Chinese character, a series of characters, a Chinese word that basically says what they're finding about their own students translates to this. Good at schooling, bad at everything else. <laughs> because they do not leave enough space for play. What Peter Gray goes on to talk about is that although these um, experiments are cruel and hopefully they don't do them any longer, years ago, they took primates, and the baby primates were allowed to have social interaction, but they were not allowed to have the opportunity for playfulness, for unstructured, unsupervised play with their peers. And what they found is that those primate apes who grew up into adult apes, when they encountered a social circumstance as an adult that was unfamiliar to them, they were emotionally limited. They were scared. They panicked. They isolated themselves. And so Peter Gray says the whole movement in education in this country over the last 50 or so years is in exactly the wrong direction. We need more time, he says, for more self-directed play, not less. And he says because of this, we're seeing a decrease in our kids. And this is not just this generation, this is a prior generation. Decrease in creative thinking, an increase in narcissism, a decrease in empathy levels. Basically all the things through which life and the soul really flourishes. And so he ends this way. Our children don't need more school. They need more play. If we care about our children and future generations, we must reverse the horrid trend that has been occurring over the past half century. We must give childhood back to children. Children must be allowed to follow their inborn natural drives to play and to explore so that they can grow into intellectually, socially, emotionally, and physically strong and resilient adults. Implicit all throughout this article that Peter Gray's kind of railing against the last 50 years is that, you know, education and development 
is all about the next thing. We grow to this point to get to the next step. And then we reach that point to get to the next step after that. And then we reach that point to get to the next step after that. All the way until we reach the final next step, right? Which is death. (laughs) If you follow the logic out, I'm not taking any leaps in it. The problem with seeing development as only a series of stepping stones in which we're always moving ahead and moving ahead and moving ahead is that it's like our operating system, our cultural operating system, our spiritual operating system is saying to ourselves that creation itself is only an ever competition. And we have to train our kids to only compete. But what Peter Gray is offering and what many other great spiritual teachers say is that maybe creation is not in its heart competition. Maybe creation in its heart is playfulness is the power of with, is getting in touch with our lives in engaging in activities that are not good for anything. I had a professor in seminary who used to praise people. She said, look at how she just turned this phrase right around. People who she said were good for nothing. (laughs) Recognize the insidiousness of good for everything. Good for everything because that just means we're going to make it into something else. But recognize how wonderful good for nothing really is. Because if we stay with something, our own experience, another person, a joyous experience, a sad experience, long enough to discover what it really is, to open to it, to understand it, to learn it, then maybe we might understand what real love, what real amazement, what real fascination, and what real growth in this life are all about. Now, it's easier to talk about this, well, maybe not for me today, than it is to kind of demonstrate it. And so you over here, I want to share this with you. Just pretend this is the big game here. Just play amongst yourselves. Keep playing. Uh, You have permission today to, uh, yeah, there you go. You have permission today to multitask here. Normally, I don't like this kind of thing. But, uh, But here, one simple balloon. One simple balloon. Hey, you're not going to pay attention to me at all. That's all right. (laughs) But I encountered the power of this blue balloon when I joined with my regular mindfulness supervisory teacher training every month, as I do, at Jefferson. Now, this group is half PhDs. Allow yourself to be surprised. Hold on to the ball for a second if you want to. Hold on to it. Feel it. Surprise yourself. We did a meditation one day, the seven of us, half the group with PhDs. These are smart people, smarter than me in a lot of ways. Passing for 20 minutes a blue balloon amongst each other. Getting basic guidance from the person leading the meditation. Keep it going, that's all right. What does it feel like, next person that lands on, what does it feel like to actually hold a balloon What does it look like when you hold the balloon up to the light? How does it look differently when you hold it up towards the ceiling, when you hold it up towards the ground? What does it feel like to bop the balloon? 20 minutes passing around the circle. A simple blue balloon. You can let it rest now if you want. Nope. Nope. Getting in touch with a simple blue balloon. 
and we did our analysis of our experience after the meditation was done. One of the things we recognize is these 40-somethings, 50-somethings, 60-somethings people, highly adept, highly intelligent. Some of them said, I have not played with something to play with it in 20 or 30 years. Some people found themselves remembering what it was like to be a child for the first time in a long time. Because the truth is, as I think some of you might remember yourself right now, playing with a balloon is simply fun. This meditation was an experience and an expression of what the Buddhist tradition calls beginner's mind which is really nothing more and nothing less than meeting our lives again, but for the first time. During this balloon meditation, we were not asked to analyze. We were not asked to make sense of it. We were not asked to find meaning in it. We were just asked to observe it. This is one of the primary attributes of what I'm calling the power of with which is before we are in any way able to prescribe for this life, we first have to be able to describe this life. Describe and understand what is actually going on. Instead of being the deciders, instead of being impatient, instead of thinking of ourselves as worthy people because we make stuff happen, instead to cultivate the habits of knowing what's happening first and foremost before we can make any recommendations for what will happen. There's a biblical witness to this, by the way. It's the Genesis story, the Genesis myth of creation, where after all the activity was finished, God simply said, it was good. All the prescriptive stuff came later. A lot of it, many of us found ourselves growing up disagreeing with. But the descriptive stuff, it was good. That still abides. There's a great story that kind of unpacks this. It's not in the Bible, but it makes sense of maybe what the ancient Israelites were saying when they looked at creation and said, it is, as the Hebrew says, tov, simple word. It is good. It's a story. Creation is done. Well, creation is never done. But after the seven days, it goes, God gathered a bunch of angels. And one angel looked at creation. Thought for a second. I like it, but what does it do? And God, if you imagine God's shoulders shrugging. Another angel looked at it for a second, started taking some tabulations and some notes. What does it mean? And God sighed. And then a third angel stepped up and viewing this new creation, overlooked it all and just started clapping. Just was overjoyed. The truth about the blue balloon meditation is that it's not about the blue balloon. 
is that it's merely an opportunity to work with our lives exactly as they are with what's ever happening around us or what's ever happening inside of us and to bring curiosity, receptivity, and openness. Because in the end result, what true education is not about is content. True edu- education is about creating the conditions that allow us to continue to move into this life in a flourishing way. It is the opposite of teaching to the test. I have heard a lot of you in this congregation and on Facebook tell me about the anxieties of your kids or the fruitlessness or the meaninglessness of feeling that they are being taught to the test. The power of with is the opposite of teaching to the test. It is learning with our lives. Because this is the truth of this little balloon. If we can't allow ourselves for 20 minutes to sit with this balloon and understand what it's like to see it, touch it, I guess you could taste it too if you want to, but to get in touch with it, if we can't allow ourselves just to be with a simple blue balloon for 15 or 20 minutes, then chances are we're not going to be in touch with our spouses, our children, our jobs, our lives. We'll find ourselves caught in that survivor mentality. We'll find ourselves caught in that outwit outlast, outplay mentality. We'll find ourselves lost in time, lost in that someday syndrome. Someday I'll get there. Someday, someday, someday. Lost in time or maybe lost in space. Lost in that elsewhere envy. Real life has to be somewhere, but it's definitely not here with me right now. Lost in time, lost in space. It's a way to lose life. But life is certainly here with us right now. Just as amazing as a blue balloon can be. Abraham Joshua Heschel was one of the foremost contemplative, activist, radical teachers. Overall, just as I would say from the tradition in which I grew up in, overall menches. (laughs) Mensch, meaning a real human being of the 20th century. Abraham Joshua Heschel said this. He says, our goal should be to live life in radical amazement. To get up in the morning and look at the world in a way that takes nothing for granted. To be spiritual is to be amazed. Now, this is much easier said than it is lived in the flow of our lives, in the midst of many of our responsibilities. This is why Spiritual practice is one of the core values of this congregation. It takes practice for me. I don't know about you, but some of you are nodding your heads right now, so I'm going to think it's true. It takes practice for me to not take things for granted. It takes practice for me to remember that life can be radical amazement and true education. If we can hone this way of perceiving our lives then we might enter into one of our core beliefs here at Wellsprings, which is that we can exist in gardens of abundance and joy. Just in the same way 
Just in the same way a gardener strives to create the right conditions for the garden to flourish, so we can strive to create the right conditions for amazement, for awe, for deep awareness to live with our lives, to be true in our lives as well. And then we can find we can do what Pete Seeger, may he rest in peace, Unitarian Universalist that he was. We sang his song earlier today that we will be able to turn and turn and turn with our lives. We will be able to turn with the earth. We will be able to turn with our hearts. We will be able to turn with our souls and be with whatever is there for us in the moment. One of Pete's favorite, most famous songs, which he didn't even write, but he certainly, maybe you can hear it in his voice, he made it his own. Inch by inch, row by row, God bless these seeds I sow. That's a cultivating life. Notice the smallness of it. It's not about outwit, outlast, outplay. Inch by inch, row by row. Cultivating a careful, close attention to the ground. And to be radically, amazingly, and yes, playfully in touch with this life. On Super Bowl Sunday, it's so important to remember that the universalist goal part of the tradition that I find most theologically compelling. The universalist goal is not to be the final one standing, is not to get to the end of creation and to find ourselves crowned champion over and above and outside and in denial of everyone else. The universalist heart is to be a real person, a real one, alongside and with millions of others of real ones and to keep the game going because there will be days when all of us win and there will be days when all of us lose and to judge ourselves in the same way that the beltway politico types do it by who wins the news cycle is a miserable way to live it's just getting caught up in the drama So to be a part of the game, to keep the play going, it is to remember and take to hearts these these words from Walt Whitman before they were ever in Dead Poets Society and before they were ever in an iPad commercial. And yes, they've been in both. And so if you're more familiar with it right now, thank you, Apple Corporation. All these questions that are asked about the difficulty of life. And then the answer is this. The answer, the answer that the powerful play goes on And you may contribute a verse. That the powerful play goes on. And you, 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 us, may contribute a verse. To do this is to recognize that real education is not about knowledge. It matters how much we know to a point. And it doesn't matter at all. Tribute our verse to this play is to grow beyond knowledge and into wisdom. The kind of wisdom in which truly I think a small child may lead us. And they give themselves the time to say, I'm not on your time frame. I'm playing with my boo balloon right now. Today, may you play. I don't care if you win or you lose. May you play. Amen.
And may you live in blessing. Let's pray together. God of original playfulness. God of creation unfolding. God of creation still coming to be. May we commit our hands, our hearts this day not to being survivors, but to being people who thrive and flourish. May we, this day, be in concert with that original word, that it was good, and we are good. And may we spend our days not in worry or in fret. May we spend our days playfully, lovingly, gracefully living out that original blessing. Amen. If you enjoyed this message and would like to support the mission of Wellsprings, go to our website, wellspringsuu.org. That's wellsprings, the letters uu.org.